All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to episode number two of our special podcast mini-series with the Nessa Group. My name's Anthony Verna. Uh, myself, I'm an IP lawyer, and I handle branding issues along with Justin Tripodi uh, when we are a part of the Nessa Group. Uh, we'll start over here. Jim, Jim Huerta, say hello. Hi, hi, I'm Jim Huerta, and I'm one of the managing partners of the Nessa Group. Thank you very much. Barry Kolbzon, please say howdy to our audience. Howdy. <laughs> I like his literalism. <laughs> Our patent agent is Will Jakes. Yes. Hi, everybody. And of course, the aforementioned Justin Tripodi. Present and accounted for. All right. Oh. Lovely. So let's talk about having an idea. I have an idea, which means I really have a solution to my problem. Justin, can I make this a business? Maybe. <laughs> the, Good the, answer. There's, there's a lot of things that need to be taken into account on if your idea to a problem that you have is, is it a problem that a lot of people have? Is the market, as I mentioned in episode one, is it large enough for you to invest your time and potentially your money into taking the solution to market? Um, and you could do your research. You could talk to people within the industry to begin your process of learning. And then you have to understand your process of, well, what is going to be the cost and time frame for me to make this idea reality? One of the things that I would say about talking to people in the industry is make sure that you don't blab about what you're looking to do, because now you'll, you're going to set off some, some statutes, which we'll get to in a minute or two. But Jim and Barry, uh, what advice would you have for the person who has an idea and has a solution to a problem? in terms of talking to industry people and getting that experience that's needed without blabbing about it and turning this into a business? Uh, you know, years ago, one of the things that I thought was uh, important was to, if someone had an idea, was to test the marketplace. What I mean by this is not tell the people what it was, but talk about a disruptive kind of technology that could affect people in general, just to see what their reaction would be and, and to see that uh, maybe there was something there. I mean, and I, I'll mention Will and I, because Will and I experienced that many years ago when we worked together, that there was a way we were doing that. We were getting the demand coming from the people who might be interested in being customers as opposed to from the top down saying, I have this patent, isn't it great? Mm -hmm. No, you had to start getting a demand where people were saying, you know, uh, I heard this conversation and I like that, and how can I help make that happen, or what is it going to mean to me? So I think the idea for me would be start feeling out if you have something that has demand, mm -hmm. and I'm not sure when I say the word disruptive, uh, I say that because it's, a, it's, it's in vogue to say that now. <laughs> Buzzword alert, <laughs> disruptive. But I don't know what that really means. I, I, you guys will probably could correct me on that, but uh, yeah, go ahead, Justin. I think, I think when you talk about a solution, there could be a lot of different reasons why it's a solution. It's an absolute need that, that you or a large group of people have, or it could be more as a luxury or an entertainment property. And a lot of times you don't know exactly how your solution becomes a, a, a product until you begin to test it, as Jim mentioned, in market. And a lot of very successful companies now do not start off with their initial focus. 
uh, Twitter was not a real-time news source when it first started. They went, went through several iterations that they only learned and progressed upon when they got feedback from customers. Instagram is very much in the same boat. The first product they launched with, which was built by their engineers in a back room thinking they had the greatest things to slice bread, flopped in the marketplace. And, and, and weren't, weren't early users or really maybe non-users mocking Twitter and Instagram? I mean, I remember when people would say, oh, are you going to do this on Twitter? Oh, I'm going to get a latte. And, you know, <laughs> and like, you know, I'm in line getting a latte. I'm in line for lunch. And like Twitter was totally useless because that's all people did. And mm -hmm. same with Instagram. I mean, I have, I have trouble understanding how to use Instagram from a business standpoint. So I wind up putting up pictures of food on Instagram. And, but isn't that what Instagram is mocked for all the time too? Well, Instagram today is actually a great um, marketing channel, uh, especially for consumer marketing, anywhere from uh, lifestyle and cosmetics to even productivity tools. When, I yes. now see when, when I say I struggle, it's because we provide services and not and not a good. So I've got client. I mean, I'm sure we all do. I've got clients who are killing it on Instagram because their Absolutely. product is is yeah. is that visual. Mm -hmm. But I think we deviate a little yes. bit. Yes. Um, you know, th there's as Jim alluded to, and I said before. Um, and I'll go back to even uh, Thomas Edison with his creation of the light bulb. Uh, it was, there is a difference between an invention and an innovation. An invention is something new. An innovation is something new, but is being demanded by a large audience. And at the time, the light bulb was an invention. It wasn't an innovation because frankly, not enough people had electricity in their household to utilize a light bulb. Um, so when you're looking at should I turn my idea into solution, and we'll touch upon a lot of these areas, yes, you do want to look at the size of the market, how you can position your product uniquely in the market. Could you get some kind of intellectual property protection behind your idea? And then you, you do, over the course of this journey and this research, have to figure out, well, what is my path to success if I do think this idea can become a business? Well, gee, uh, Justin, that sounds like what's my business plan? Ooh. <laughs> oh, hey, uh, I think we've been here before, but guys, let's talk about that because I, I want to talk about that before we talk about IP again, because uh, before somebody speaks to me about intellectual property, and, and I know Will has the same philosophy, the first question is, what's your business plan? So um, taking this idea and turning it into a business plan, what are some thoughts about um, mm -hmm. making it full, making it existing, making it something that can be implemented. Mm -hmm. Barry, go ahead. I think when people start a business, they're so anxious to get started, they don't sit down and say, talking to themselves, what do I need to do this? Most of them don't do it. They just keep going and the John is a friend. Bring him aboard. I like him. Right. And he's an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's cousin Vinny. <laughs> <laughs> but that, but that goes to to lack of industry experience that I think a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs and small businesses Absolutely. have. Absolutely. So how do I build that into my business plan that I'm not going to just just bring who, whomever on that I can that I can understand from that plan standpoint so that then I can implement it as a business owner, that an expert has to come in when I need X, Y, or Z. Well, that's right. Well, there are different degrees of experts. Of course. And a good uh, person to do this is somebody who's had experience, has gotten success out of it, maybe not the greatest success, but got success out of it, and 
that is something that we have in our group because we're multitasked. And if we need help, it's very easy for us to get in touch with somebody else, you know, pinch them, wake them up, and, um, and, and help out. But you got to get the person who's starting the business and they don't know much about it. They have to find people like the Nessa group. Right. And we can handle this. And I tell people that we handle pretty much all the areas of a company. Different people with different expertise. Jim, what are what are you telling a a small business to build that business plan better? Well, that's a, that's a heavy loaded question. I it's on purpose a heavy loaded uh, question. I, I I will sit with with people. I'm I'm kind of a, uh, I, I guess I am linear when it comes to the way I think. I believe that the foundation is 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 the basis of any success. So what I tell any of my clients or any people who um, and people who I'm mentoring because I'm doing mentoring often enough is that you have to be able to make me feel that you know what you're taking me into. What is what is the path and avenue you're taking me into? And once I'm finished talking to you, I want to see more of that path. Uh, I know we always talk about business plans the way you start. And a lot of times people say, I just want to do an executive summary and that's good enough. I'm here to tell you that, yes, you might be able to pull that off because there's new models of executive summaries that are very colorful and very uh, visual. But do not kid yourself that you're not going to get into the nitty gritty. And that business plan needs for you to really go in and look at the bricks, how they laid, how the concrete's laid. And each one of those pieces of that business plan needs input from people who know what they're doing. The web is a dangerous thing. It is a dangerous thing, Will. <laughs> Justin, let, let, let's go to you. I'm sure you've mm -hmm. got thoughts on that. And what mm -hmm. do you want to see, a, 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 after you have thoughts on this, what do you want to see mm -hmm. from a business owner uh, say about marketing in a business plan as well? Uh, I mean, marketing, no, no business nowadays is if you build it, they will come. This is in the field of dreams. Right. You need to understand how you're going to get consumers. And that rests with both your marketing and sales plan. And it rests for a lot of online direct-to-consumer uh, businesses with the experiences you're creating for your customers. And, and I always like to say experiences online kind of rest at the intersection of marketing and technology. Um, there's technology nowadays that can completely deliver interactive experience, experiences to captivate your audience. The challenge is with marketing for both traditional and digital, there's so many different channels you can be on. So when I look at someone's marketing plan, I want to understand how they're going to get a customer, what, what channels they're going to be on online and offline, who are their top customers that they're going after, how they're going to reach them with a content marketing strategy. Um, are they are they layering it with public relations? Are they layering it with uh, influencer marketing? So a full multifaceted integrated marketing strategy that shows me as a potential advisor and investor that they actually understand how to get a customer. I, I want to add to that. I think that's, uh, Justin, you're right on target with that. One of the things that I find, I think we've all found that when we go to these different events mm -hmm. and we're listening to people doing pitches, I'm sure you guys, you and Will, uh, and I, I hear pitches all the time. <laughs> the first thing they start talking about is how technically expertise they are and how technically brilliant they are. Mm -hmm. And that once do they tell me, how does your brilliance help me as an individual? 
Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the areas, I know you and I have discussed it before, Justin. You got to tell me you need this because this is going to change certain things of your life. Mm-hmm. I'm not astute enough for you to tell me how to do an algorithm and how you program an algorithm. That's not my cup of tea. I don't mm-hmm. know that. But the minute you tell me what it means to me, then mm-hmm. I've got all of a sudden you got my attention. And that doesn't mm-hmm. mean for any... Any person you talk to, mm. investors are looking for that too. Mm. Investors want you to talk English to them. Mm. Well, let, let's position this around startups looking at investment. That's an area that a lot of us sit in. And the landscape for uh, C to Series A capital has changed considerably over the last 15 years. In the early 2000s, two very smart, maybe experienced guys with a sound business plan can raise a couple of hundred thousand, if not a million, to build their product. Because the cost of technology has come down, over the last 15 years, a lot of investors, even seed investors, angels, actually expect you to have a working prototype in market before that first round. It's almost as if the um, innovation or business creation cycle Mm -hmm. has moved up a stage Mm -hmm. for everybody. Much more burden is put on the founder to have a functioning or uh, a functional prototype in market to validate that there is some kind of consumer demand. Whenever you're going out for your first round of funding, uh, you have the most approved, therefore you are the most risky. Uh, and, and that's why it is harder to get your seed capital in the door. And the, as much you, as you can do to mitigate that risk, whether it's through a sound business strategy and growth plan, not just a business plan, not just the document, but actually the words in the document that shows this is how I'm uniquely positioned, uh, this is how I'm gonna make money, this is my business model, and this is how I'm gonna get customers, and to provide an investor comfort, or what I like to say, the warm and fuzzies, that his money is actually gonna provide a return, the better off your business will be for success. I second that, that's, that's wonderful, well said. <laughs> Thank you, Jay. So now that we have the, uh, at least some ideas on a business plan and, mm-hmm. and putting that together, Will, uh, let's start with how you and I would take that business plan and, and, and get some IP protection out of it. Hmm. So uh, first things first, uh, somebody comes to you and they have this product or, or algorithm or whatever it is. What, what do we need to do first thing uh, to think about patent protection? Well, you should do a search. Of course. Yes, number yeah. one. <laughs> so yeah. what are we looking for in a, in a, in a patent search? Uh, you're looking for similarities. You're looking for ideas like yours that may have already been disclosed, which uh, uh, would say that uh, you're you're not going to get a patent. So anything that exists in the world of the prior art uh, would negate a patentability of your idea. Hence, because it's already out there. Correct. Right. Right. Uh, but what? it does. It goes further than that. I, you know, it's it's a kind of transactional thing to look at patent searches. Is just that I want to see whether or not there is something out there that is similar to what it is I intend, or the same as what I intend. You want to take your entrepreneurs just one step further, and you want to see the landscape of what potentially might be available as well. So you're looking at gaps, you're looking at white space, you're looking at green space, and a patent search can provide that as well. And I think that's an important thought, because when I first started practicing law at my first firm, it really was that that transactional philosophy. Here, find, find what's there, draft the opinion letter, 
and just move on to the next thing and make sure that your patent search, make sure your patent search finds everything that's related to, to this patent and then move on. I, I, what I like about your philosophy, Will, is that it's much more broad. Like, like yes, you have to do that, but there has to be a, a broader level than that as well. Well, otherwise, you you could uh, derail uh, your enthusiasm. You could derail the business. Let's just say it's it's the difference between uh, one claim element uh, that would distinguish you from the prior art, uh, and you know uh, you find a piece of art out there that says, "Oh my gosh, I'm not going to to get a patent." But as I tell folks, I you know may, maybe it is the bane of 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 also. Uh, having an MBA, you know, to kind of look at it that way. But when they come to me and let's say we were blocked by patent, then I go, well, if there's a patent out there, maybe we should take a look at that patent. And part of your business plan doesn't become, you know, getting a patent around your idea, which has already been disclosed. It may actually include in licensing the patent that already exists that's sitting there potentially in your way. Uh, so, so you know, how, what percentage of patents are ever really commercialized? Uh, the 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 ongoing theory is that it's somewhere around four to five percent of patents are commercialized, mm-hmm. and that number comes from well, one, we we know IBM is still the number one patent filer in the United mm-hmm. States, mm-hmm. so a lot of those ideas are 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 just thrown against the wall. And never come to really fruition from a commercialization Mm -hmm. standpoint for a million different reasons. Mm -hmm. But IBM is is still throwing all of these ideas against the wall, hoping that something Mm -hmm. sticks. But also number two is that a lot of small businesses file a patent because they know it's a good idea to Mm -hmm. get a patent. And they don't have this under under, uh, underlying philosophy Mm -hmm. that all of us are talking about today of putting together that business plan. And after a while, it just kind of fails. Mm-hmm. The one thing that, that comes to mind right off the top of my head as an example is the uh, uh, fidget spinner device. Mm-hmm. Like that was a patent 20 years ago. And when did it become a fad? After the patent you know, expired and anybody could just go ahead and make it mm-hmm. because the person who put it together didn't know how to deal with it. Justin, I know you had a thought here. I, I, I did. One, it's uh, you're absolutely right with IBM and Google. I mean, they have dedicated people. All they do is prepare filings for patents all day. And if you guys go to any of these patent searches, I like to use Justia Patents, J-U-S-T-I-A Patents.com. Uh, shout out to them. Um, if you uh, search Google or IBM, you'll see the same guy's name on a lot of their patents, oh, especially sure. recently. I always thought that was interesting. Um, but... From a business plan point of view, especially if you're trying to raise money, what having um, IP behind you does, as we said before, is create some kind of asset on the books. Uh, an investor can look at that and say, well, if all else fails, maybe they'll collateralize the um, IP and I'll take ownership if they can't return my investment to me. Whatever the terms are of your agreement, but that it, that is a possibility. Um, Anthony, if I could just go back to the marketing question you of asked me first. Of course, go ahead. Two important metrics that I forgot to mention that should be included in a business plan is your cost of customer acquisition, how much it's going to cost you to get the average customer, and the lifetime value of that customer. Those are two, two very traditional metrics uh, or KPIs. If you need to know what a KPI is, go back to episode <laughs> one. Um, that an investor, whether it's an angel or a VC, is going to look for. Sure. Uh, 
So, so Will, taking all this information, how do you then, how do you get it done and make sure that this is, is something that's protected if it's something that can be protected? Let's see if I understand your question. So I, uh, I want you to, I want you to, I'm just saying, how do we then go, how do we know that we're able to go from patent search, uh, the green light on filing a patent, and then actually having something in our hands that, that, that says, this is what the product is. This is what, what our invention is. You may, you may not know that until years later. Of course. To be, to be quite honest with you. So you have to uh, be willing to make your best guess based on a disclosure that you have. And again, reviewing the, the landscape or viewing the patent space of all that art that has come back to you and saying, this is, this was my original idea. The patent search still validates my original idea. Let's file that patent. Mm -hmm. But beware that as you file that patent, and time starts to move on. So you have to mm -hmm. kind of recognize and continue to look at the marketplace. Here's, here's an interesting thing. Most entrepreneurs uh, don't understand, or even people who file for patents, that, you know, that patent search that you, 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 you may rely on to make your early decisions is based on, on assets that haven't been published until they until 18 months after they were filed. So they mm -hmm. are always already aged yes. by the time by the time you see them in publication. Mm -hmm. You know, so your 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 quote unquote patent searching also has to depend on your your ability to do CI. And that is, you know, those experts, those professionals that are a part of your team, you know, that go to the meetings, they meet with people, uh, you know, uh, uh, at, 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 at other venture meetings or whatever. You have to keep your ear open, you know, to see where the technology may be headed, what people are thinking, mm -hmm. and then bring that learning back to help you pivot. Pivoting meaning you may need to file additional mm -hmm. patents in order to potentially sec secure uh, your mm -hmm. space. So we call that we call that patent fencing. Yes. So let's let's talk about or or my one of my one of my professors was on CBS calling it patent thicketing, but I, I prefer fencing. I like fencing. <laughs> I like fencing I like as well. Fencing. But let's let's talk about that for for a second. What's your philosophy on filing multiple patents then on one particular product or set of products or however that product is well, defined? Oh yeah. Well, there there are two ways to answer the question, and my colleague uh, Justin just uh, you know alerted me to one aspect you know, of how I might answer that question. So part of your portfolio may include utility patents, which covers the actual inner workings of the technology itself, right? Uh, another part of your patent filing for that same product or same product space may be design patents. So design patents are ornamental. They may in fact only, well, they do in fact only cover what something looks like. But a lot of people have recognized that what things look like in the marketplace has a, a kind of temporal or feel uh, kind of utility okay. to them. Understood. And so they grow, you know, in terms of just how they look but they almost have utility. So that's another part of, of, of your, your portfolio that you will file around. Mm -hmm. The other thing, which is not necessarily in favor uh, these days because of uh, precedent in the court, but there's still some room for 
People call them business method mm -hmm. patents. I still call them process patents. To the Processes, algorithms. Mm -hmm. yeah. Processes to the extent that they, you know, they're still subject matter uh, mm -hmm. eligible, but that's a whole nother uh, discussion. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the, the other, to answer the question in a different way, uh, and then in, in this case, I'll just stick to utility patents, is yes, you do want to file potentially multiple patents, but they don't necessarily get filed at the same time. They get filed because mm -hmm. as you move down the, the your product build, your business development, Development, you start to learn things. And if they are new, mm -hmm. then you have to file what we call continuation in parts in order to, again, build this fence or build this, you know, this portfolio of, of, of uh, protectable ideas mm -hmm. around your product. Uh, but again, mm -hmm. as you said, you don't know that until you've moved down until the you road. Keep doing. Right. Go ahead, Justin. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that. And I think it would be useful for our listeners to know, especially for the early stage founders, given the theme of this episode being, I have a solution, how do I turn into a business? When should they start thinking about IP? I, I always say from the very beginning. <laughs> when from, I wake from, up from, in the morning, I'm thinking about it. Let me, let me, let me. Can, can, I, can I tie in that up? Go ahead, go ahead. Taking into account that mm -hmm. most early stage founders have very tight budgets mm -hmm. that need to be put towards uh, maybe marketing, probably technology, maybe some other legal components of their business. Um, so they're bootstrapping. Yeah. As a bootstrapping entrepreneur, when should I start thinking about and then pursuing some kind of intellectual property? Okay, so let me, there, there, there are a couple of questions being asked there, but, you know, again, no hubris intended, but you have to have some money. Mm -hmm. Okay, you if you're going to be in business, if you're going to pursue, you know, uh, commerce uh, in America, you have to have some money. Now, does it mean you have to have a lot of money? Maybe not. So maybe in mm -hmm. your search, which, uh, you know, for simple products, uh, let, you know, I won't give a, a dollar range, but let's say, you know, it's it, it's mm -hmm. about a thousand dollars. Okay, mm -hmm. so you want to get your search and then you may take advantage of things like uh, provisional uh, applications, which, you know, I don't like, uh, but they, they may be less expensive. They may provide you a timestamp, mm -hmm. uh, which gives you a year before you have to file that regular patent. Mm -hmm. So it gives you an opportunity to actually even put the product into the market and stamp it as patent pending, mm -hmm. yeah. right. you know, mm -hmm. uh, and maybe you generate some dollars, maybe you don't, but, you know, it, it is, I think it's more of a business sure. mindset than an IP and mindset. Other, I, I, I think it's a deterrent too, Will, when you say patent pending on the product that mm -hmm. your potential competitors see that, mm -hmm. at least they they know that there's something going on and they have to be real careful how they approach it. The, the mm -hmm. other the mm -hmm. other question, the other way to, to look at this is that if your if your product is not ready for the market, you could also set up a series of non disclosure agreements mm -hmm. with Absolutely. your advisors, right. your um, your factory, if if or prototypers, whoever might be in that line, mm -hmm. until you're ready to um, put it on the market. So this way it's a trade secret. Mm -hmm. Now, even though, even though end products are not trade secrets, it's not an end product because it's not for sale yet. Mm -hmm. So this way you can keep it as a trade secret and then maybe get yourself some, build yourself some time this yeah. way. But you have to put the security protocols into place as well. Mm -hmm. Justin, go ahead. I, I'm glad you said talking about your product. I, I know when in my younger days, and I think we all fall victim of this, is you, you keep everything close to the vest. 
and you're not asking the right people the right questions because you don't want to give away your secret sauce. Well, one, you know, something I always kid around my brother with is if you think you have a unique, unique idea in this multi-billion person world, slap yourself because someone has mm -hmm. probably thought of that. Yeah. A lot of it comes down to execution. It really does. And the way you perfect execution is by getting feedback on what you want to do. And yes, you should certainly have NDAs in place, non-disclosure agreements in place for the right individuals, but you should figure out a way to talk about your idea or your business without giving away the secret sauce. Know what questions you can ask that are a bit leading to get some answers in to qualify some of the assumptions you're making. Mm -hmm. uh, and if I could just ask Will one more question, I think it's, you're I, 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 think it's I think it's relative, thank you. <laughs> one response I've gotten from, from some individuals who I'm recommending that they file IP is, mm -hmm. I know I need it, and I can probably afford it now, but I don't, I don't have the money to defend it if I need to, so therefore I don't want to get it. What would you say to those individuals? Stinking thinking. Stinking thinking. <laughs> Did you trademark that? <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's insurance. Uh, and so, you know, I understand we, we can't always make decisions based on the inability to, to, to fund them. Uh, you know, as, as Anthony alluded to, you, you're going to have to find people you trust. I'll go back to something that doesn't necessarily speak to the IP world, but, uh, uh, oh my gosh, who's the book? You know, the gentleman that I'm talking about, uh, he'll come to mind in a minute. But what I'm trying to, to suggest is that you have to build uh, that team around you, that team of trusted people, mm -hmm. and you're going to have to share that idea. And in some cases, they may even have to fork or share in mm -hmm. some piece of the dollars mm -hmm. in order to provide that early protection. Mm -hmm. To actually go out into the world as a small entrepreneur, you're not an IBM, you're not mm -hmm. a GM, you're not a General Electric, and expect that your idea mm -hmm. won't be usurped is is fool's play. Mm -hmm. yeah. but I, I Okay. I, I I think one of the things that, that uh, getting back to Justin's point, is that mm -hmm. you really have to keep as close to the vest as possible, which, which you repeated. Mm -hmm. But I do have a question. Uh, please correct me if I'm... I think a lot of people approached the, the whole idea of an idea mm -hmm. as intellectual property as opposed to intellectual capital, i.e. Yeah. a corporate secret. Mm -hmm. Tell us... What you think, Will, is where do you separate those two and how do you separate them? I, I think I might have missed a very important point, even to, to Justin's question. So uh, there is, again, I always make the separation. There's the business, you know, and how it is I intend to make money, my team, my market, you know, my cost of acquiring customers. And then there is the technology that potentially drives that business. And so at these venture meetings uh, that a lot of... Uh, our clients go to, you know, in order to try to raise money, I go, you know, your, your charge is to present your idea, at least the technology part, in a black box. And so you don't need to necessarily discuss, you know, you know, the inner workings of the black box. 
in order to, you know, necessarily convince, you know, uh, or, or get interest, you know, from the venture community or from the mm-hmm. business community or even from customers could probably clear, care less. Most mm-hmm. of them don't know how their products work per se. They just know it does what they need them mm-hmm. to do. And so when you present your idea, you present the technology in the in the black box. The input is what? The resources, the team, the people, the output is, Mr. Investor, if you put in a dollar, you're going to get five out. Now, if that's something that interests you, if the market interests you, if if the idea, you know, around the product interests you, now the NDA potentially uh, becomes stronger. And even I say, you know, if you've built that kind of relationship, you, you know, your NDA is only as good as your ability to sue if people decide that they're going to violate it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, well, you used a a, a word mm-hmm. that I'm not always fond of in business, and that's yeah. that's trust. Um, <laughs> you just haven't lived long enough. Go ahead. No, you know, I, I, I'm just waiting this whole conversation. I, I, I am a I am a jaded New Yorker. I've had successful business relationships. I've had non-successful business relationships. Uh, I think uh, we're at a time right now. Um, New businesses are spinning up all the time. Partnerships are being formed without uh, long-standing relationships behind them, and there is, um, you know, this blind trust that needs to be put there that shouldn't um, take you away from putting the right agreements together, um, to have the right vesting schedules together, which is how someone will accrue and vest their equity over time, and more importantly, it's important to tackle. Um, complicated situations as they arrive and not push off necessary decisions or conversations that need to be had. Mm -hmm. Um, Because that's when resentment starts to form and that's when I've seen a lot of businesses fall apart very quickly, even after investment money has come in the door. So there is certainly an element of trust, but make sure you have the right agreements and success milestones in place. And, And there's a quote I heard a while ago, which I love, which is when a business first starts, Everyone wants to fight over the equity that they deserve, but it's really the journey that shows who deserves what equity. Um, So always keep that in mind that relationships can change over time, uh, given people's situations personally and professionally. And don't be afraid to have conversations, pursue any changes that you think are purposeful for the success of the business. Let me, and Justin, you're right, we are are running out of time for this episode, but let me leave you with this thought on ideas. Um, from the trademark world, since we haven't had a real chance to talk about that in this episode. Uh, in 2000, we, we, can, we can all agree that the craft beverage uh, industry has exploded in the past decade. Well, in 2015, uh, we have seen, we saw the most trademark infringement lawsuits and trademark challenges between craft breweries, wineries, and distilleries. And then in 2016 was the most uh, trademark infringement lawsuits and challenges between those those companies. Mm-hmm. And then 2017 was more than that. And the reason for that is, is so many people are coming to the same ideas independently from a branding standpoint. And if that's true from a branding standpoint, that's going to be true from a utility and invention standpoint as well. All right. I'm Anthony Verna. Thank you for listening to episode two of the special podcast miniseries with the Nessa Group. We look forward to having you for episode three, which we start talking about specific case studies. Thank you very much.